1: You are listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff. Joe Rust is off for this weekend show, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com. And also just want to give all of our listeners a reminder that if you'd like to catch more of our Money Wise programs, you can catch us on all of your favorite streaming services, whether it's Pandora, Apple iTunes, we're on all of them. So you can search MoneyWise and listen to past shows. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I like to turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So Jeff, take
0: it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 277 points, or eight tenths of one percent. The S&P 500 last week was up about 17 and a half points, or four tenths of one percent, and the Nasdaq last week was up about 255 points, or 1.8 percent. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 12.7 percent. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 13.1%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 9.2%. I think we closed at an all-time high on the S&P on Friday, uh, not for the Dow or the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ has uh, definitely been making a big turnaround in the month of June, and uh, now, now the S&P 500 is the top index for the year, whereas the Dow had been really leading the pack. But the NASDAQ is really closing the gap. I mean, in the week just passed alone, uh, the NASDAQ outperformed the Dow by more than 2.5%. And that's, that's a big outperformance in a single week. And for the month, uh, the, the, the NASDAQ is, just for the words, a handful of trading days into June is about 2.5% of the head of the Dow. For the month, and I, I I have to lay it somewhat at the feet, Kyle, of what's been happening with interest rates. It looks like that algorithm that we were talking about with uh, large cap, uh, mega cap tech stocks and interest rates uh, definitely looks like it is uh, that algorithm with interest rates coming down. Large-cap tech has been up, as evidenced by how much the NASDAQ is up. We've got 10 year yield, the 10-year yield down to 1.455% now. I think if I was to get out a chart of the 10-year treasury, uh, it has been trending down now for the last, I want to say, at least three weeks. Are you uh, saying at, there's a correlation? Well, at least there seems to be a, a correlation Uh, Right now, because we talked about about a month ago, it seemed that as interest rates were rising, large cap tech stocks were going down in value. And the NASDAQ uh, was underperforming the the other major market market indexes. Uh, that, That seemed to be the consensus that interest rates went up, large cap tech went down. Now, the opposite has been happening. The question is, is this a trend or is this a trade? Well, we know that we've been talking on past weekend's
1: Money Wise programs as far as inflation, and we know we have inflation data, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the show, and, and what it showed, and, and the big question and conversations we've been having on, is it transitory, or is it going to be more permanent? Supply bottlenecks has been leading to higher inflation. We've had this whole conversations, but... In a higher interest rate environment or where interest rates are moving higher and we have higher inflation, it's typically those large cap higher valuation stocks, whether it's in technology or whether it's in healthcare, that typically underperform where you see some more of the old classic stocks, more of the value stocks doing better and as we've talked going back to the beginning of the year we have been seeing this rotation as we've talked about on this program many times before of money that's been coming out of the large cap tech names in the higher valuation stocks that did fantastic in 2020 covid pandemic notwithstanding and then We started to see the large cap value start to get some love, which the large cap value, the classic, more classic stocks, I call them sometimes stodgy stocks. They typically do and perform better in a higher inflation and a higher interest rate environment. So it's really a little bit of a quagmire because we did see the inflation data from the CPI come in hot once again. And Jeff, what are
0: those numbers? Well, if if I'd have told you that the NASDAQ was up 255 points this week and you'd had no idea what the consumer price index number that came out on Thursday, you'd have said, well, it must have come in much lower than expected. And you would be incorrect. Because actually the consumer price index surged 5% in the month of May and the expectation was for 4.7%. Uh, this is the... The briskest pace for inflation since nineteen ninety two when I started at davidson capital management twenty nine will be twenty nine years ago in october uh, and yet the nasdaq, which a month ago had this had, if this was the number a month ago, we know what happened so what's going on here? why a month ago with a hotter than expected inflation number. Big Cap tech and Nasdaq is down, but now, with another hot number in a row, big Cap tech is doing the exact opposite. Is the market sending the
1: message that they truly feel that it is transitory that what, that's the, the only Reserve? thing
0: that's the only thing a reasonable investor could infer is that the market has decided that even though we've had these two back to back months in a row where CPI was hotter than expected, the market is taking the position that it is, in fact, transitory. Now, the interesting thing will be next week, the Federal Reserve has another meeting. They're going to come out and say, we're not going to change interest rates.
1: <laughs> we could already give the listeners the preview of coming in will,
0: will the Federal Reserve continue to believe that even though these two numbers these last two numbers, uh week month's numbers were hot from the consumer price index point of view. will they continue to be using the word transitory or will they somehow change some of the phrases, some of the words in their announcement to make it appear like well, maybe it isn't so transitory and that we'll hear about you know, we'll hear about here next Wednesday.
1: Well, we know the financial entertainment press will pick a, pick apart every single word that came, that comes out of the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Jerome powell's mouth next week. But there was something interesting I do want to talk about again concerning interest rates and the bond market when we come back from our first commercial break and let's do that right now. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Moneywise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, MoneyWise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch MoneyWise on all your favorite podcast streaming services across the country so what I wanted to talk about Jeff because we we, we're, we're talking about a little bit about the Federal Reserve inflation interest rates and we have the Federal Reserve meeting coming up next week and what is Jerome Powell and the Federal Open Mouth Committee FOMC going to say next week and how parsed are their words going to be and I know the big $64,000 question is when is the Federal Reserve going to start talking about their intermeeting discussions about slowing down their monthly bond purchasing? Because the Federal Reserve is currently buying up $120 billion with a B a month in bonds. And by doing so, they continue to keep interest rates compressed lower for longer, which keeps the bond market more unattractive for investors, which would then drive more investors in the stock market. And so I read an interesting article this past week in MarketWatch where they were interviewing a few bond gurus. David Gerlach was not one of the, the people that they were interviewing. But I know back in 2014, we had, I think it was 2014, we had the taper tantrum. And the taper tantrum was when the market reacted negatively when Ben Bernanke, the chairman of the Federal Reserve at the time, was saying that they were going to stop their quantitative easing. That is their monthly bond buying, and the market reacted very negatively to that. And I know it's a conversation, Jeff, that we've had on the program in weeks past about when the Federal Reserve is going to stop slowing their bond buying, because that, again, creates the quantitative easing, which is just pumping, continuing to pump money into the system, and it helps backstop the stock market. And how is the market going to react when the Federal Reserve finally does start slowing down the pace of their bond buying? We saw how the market reacted in the fourth quarter of 2018 when the Federal Reserve was starting to turn hawkish on their interest rate policies, and that's outside of QE, so they're two different things. But some of these bond gurus that they were interviewing in this, in this article from MarketWatch actually said that they feel that the market is already priced in the Federal Reserve slowing down or ending quantitative easing because we have seen the 10-year Treasury move more than 1% up, or 1% higher in interest rates since last year, this same time last year. And I know when we were talking about during the commercial break, you you had some things to say. You're taking a little bit of exception to what I was reading in this article that the market, they feel, has been pricing in the tapering of the quantitative easing already.
0: Okay, so I'll take exception to several things. First of all, I don't think lower interest rates automatically drives people into the stock market. It might make them think rethink their asset allocation somewhat, but not not every organization can switch they're required to own bonds or they're required to have cash and just because interest rates go lower isn't necessarily going to drive them into the stock market because they can't because they can't uh, because they're limited by whatever rules they're operating under um, to to think that the market would ha- would not have a negative reaction to an announcement of uh, a cessation or slowing of bond purchases by the Federal Reserve, uh, I think that's pretty irresponsible. I mean, the market is going to have a reaction. Now, the the key is, and the question really is for for us, is the reaction, to borrow a phrase from the Federal Reserve, transitory? Or is it the beginning of a more broad-based, lengthy, bearish move in the market? Not talking about what you know. Twenty eighteen, that was a big slap on the wrist, right? It just in December. It, it, it ruined yeah. it. That it ruined twenty eighteen. It ruined, the, it ruined yeah. the whole year. What happened in that last quarter? Only to have the Federal Reserve change their their talk, their words in the in the following quarter in the market, and we had a great twenty nineteen. Now, we all know that the Federal Reserve is going to do. Is going to reduce their bond purchases at some point. We know this, Uh, trying to figure out precisely when it's going to happen. They're going to try to do the best that they can to engineer it, but they're not going to engineer it in, in a way that it has no effect whatsoever on the stock market. It's going to have an effect and it'll have an effect on some stocks more than it will on other stocks, whether it's, going to be the big cap big tech big capitalization tech stocks that are the, that are most hurt or is it going to be the small cap value well i'm thinking probably more of the first it's going to have a it's going to have an effect on those stocks that have the higher the higher price earnings ratios and not and not so much an effect on the ones that have lower but don't but, you think, but we don't have to board the portfolio up
1: today but don't you think and the federal reserve has been very open and upfront. i'd say more transparent than they have been in years past is for it. Really? Well, I, I would say what, what I mean by transparent is they're just, you know, the one thing that I've always liked about Jerome Powell is just speaking in, in plain language and the fact that he's doesn't come from the world of academia. You know, he comes from a place of having banking experience and just talking in a more un- easily understandable language for, for most investors, Across the country, and they've come out and said, "Look, we're going to be giving you ample warning, because we're going to start talking about that I mean, we're thinking about."
0: Okay, and so they're going to start. They're going to start thinking or talking about it, and the market will immediately have a reaction to it. And so, when they actually start doing it, the market would have already had its reaction to it. Now, whether that reaction will have been a quick down 10, fifteen percent and then it comes back, or if it's a quick down ten percent and now the Federal Reserve actually starts doing it and the market goes down another ten percent when they actually start the easy – you know well, let me ask you this, Jeff, what do you think we've been seeing in
1: the in the big the higher valuation tech names all year up until this past month would you would you, is that maybe? initial
0: knee-jerk reaction of maybe selling the rumor? I think they did the same thing that we did. Uh, we, met, we, we we made an exceptional amount of money in 2020 for our clients owning a number of big cap tech stock names. And you're never going to get poor taking a profit. And so we've taken profits. And we've taken profits several times this year, as have other investors. You know, they're fine companies But sometimes they're not the greatest of stocks in any particular given you know given space of time, Uh, and so I I think what's happened in those in those particular names this year is a function of all kinds of different things. Number one, they've run up a bunch. Number two, their valuations are higher than the market in general. Number three, they are susceptible to higher interest rates, and so we've got higher higher inflation and and higher inflation. You know, yeah, maybe. and so i think you know those are all reasons why they have reacted as they have but here in the last month rates have come down uh, those stocks have caught a bid as you say and uh, the nasdaq is catching up you know, your question is why is it, why have interest rates come down why have interest rates come down in the last 2 months if we've had higher than expected inflation you you had a theory earlier that there were there were there were organizations that were short Interest rates, meaning they were betting that interest rates were going to go higher after this latest CPI number that came out in the previous week. And even though the, the number was hotter than expected, the markets just moved higher and interest well, rates, and, and, and for whatever and th- reason, moved lower. It was it those folks covering their short bets? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'm, well, I'm, 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 scr- I'm scratching my head. You know, Dad, if he was on here today with us, Kyle, he's scratching his head. Because he's he he's a big part of our of our bond management side of the business, and he's been in buying bonds that we've had to replace that have matured or been called here in the last few weeks. And he'll buy a little bit, thinking, "Well, I'll get some higher interest rates, higher yields, and I'll buy some more in a few days, and maybe I'll get." Some. He was he was expecting higher interest rates, and all he's been seeing here the, these last few weeks, as indicated by interest rates. At, Moving down, is that he's had to pay up more, you know, a little bit more each time for the same bonds that he's trying, you know, trying to you know, build into the into our clients' portfolios because interest rates have come down. I think the more
1: uh, from from this past week, particularly in the technology names, I mean they they they're telegraphing that this inflationary trend. Is exactly transitory. As the fact that's Federal what Reserve the market is saying. Whether they're right or not. That's what it's not, telegraphing.
0: Well, be okay, but whether they're right or not, only time will tell. Well, and, and maybe what the market feels right, but that may not be be that they're right.
1: Well, and also if if there has been guys that have been short, if there have been traders that have been short on the interest rate side coming in to cover their shorts, that's another telegraphing that they believe that that this inflationary trend is just a short term. <laughs> anomaly and not a, and not it, it's more of a trade than a trend when it comes to the interest rate environment so that's going to be up there's a lot of debate i'm sure going on in board a lot of debate between you and me that's right that's right <laughs> well let's let's end this debate right now and take another commercial break you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after this And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at Davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch Moneywise on all your favorite podcast streaming services. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, talked about, you know, we got the FOMC meeting coming up next yeah, week.
0: Yeah, dad is going to just I really know. bash us over the head. But, but I spending, mean, we're spending these, these segments talking about the Fed.
1: I know. We'll, we'll Sorry, be Dad. A phone call. Sorry, Dad. We'll get, We'll be getting a phone call <laughs> on Sunday, I'm sure, saying okay, you guys spent 30 seconds too long uh, talking about it, which uh, which which we typically do. But I mean, it's important for all investors to know this because these are there's so many different mechanisms that go into the market. And I know the fin- financial entertainment press does their best to try to explain what exactly is going on. And I remember when I first got into the business. And dad said, told me, he said, you know, son, sometimes there's more buyers than sellers, and sometimes there's more sellers than buyers, and that's it. And the financial entertainment press is going to do their best to try to explain beyond that what they felt had occurred this past week. And like you said in the last segment, this was really a head-scratcher. We had a hotter CPI, Consumer Price Index number come out, but we saw interest rates go below 1.5% on the 10-year Treasury, and then we saw the tech names, which are more interest rate and inflation sensitive, outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average by over 2.5%, and we're starting to see – the technology names that, you know, had higher valuations at the beginning of the year. And and again, we've talked on past shows, the valuations have been coming down because money has been rotating out of these big cap tech names and going into the large cap value space, which are, you know, lower price earnings, multiple stocks that have a lot of times, you know, the large cap value space has been unloved for more than a decade as far as a, a major asset class. Now there's, now we've got large-cap growth starting to make a comeback. And as we've talked about from the beginning of this year's show, how we've been preparing and adjusting our portfolios with the barbell strategy, and we feel particularly with this administration in Washington, it's a very wise and a prudent thing to do to help ridi- to help mitigate risk on the stock side of your portfolio to create that barbell where you have one side of the barbell, your growth names, the other side of your barbell, your value dividend players, or kind of some bond surrogates as we call them, because 10 year treasury is paying a 1.455% yield, which uh, is nothing to write home to mom about. So you know, that's the one side of your barbell can help generate more current income into your portfolio. And so that's what we've been doing. And the last six stocks that we added to the portfolio were specifically chosen as stocks that can weather higher inflation and a higher interest rate environment and perform better. Um, And then it's, you know, now we're in this waiting game. We're in this waiting game to see if this inflationary, Uh, issues that we're seeing in the consumer price index over the last couple of months is as the federal reserve is assuming or telegraphing to say what it is, is being just transitory. I mean, I know that part of that consumer price index was driven and pushed a lot by the used car market. And I I will tell you this, you know, for anyone that knows me, I, I absolutely have a love for cars. And I know we've got several clients that have a love for cars like I do. And just looking, you know, just some I like to pass my time sometimes just going on car gurus not that I'm looking to buy anything but I just like to look at the cars on, on the website and the one thing I have noticed Jeff some used trucks are more right. expensive than brand new trucks at the dealership which so you, which was blowing my mind and and so it's a lot of it it has to do with a shortage of semiconductor chips like I know the new Ford Raptor, it's going to be coming out in 2022, but they were supposed to be able to take orders this past week. Well, there's no way to order, and Ford came out with a statement saying we don't know when exactly we can deliver them because of the shortage of the semiconductors. And I know the Biden administration, that's something they're looking into from the supply chain bottleneck that we have had and that supply chain bottleneck I think is one of the biggest contributing factors in my opinion to the hotter consumer price index numbers
0: that we're seeing and that's that transitory factor okay so just a few data points these are this is one these are one year price changes may to 20 may of 2020 to may of 2021 so as we said I said the previous segment all items up five percent year over year New vehicles up 3.3%. Used car and trucks, used cars and trucks up 29.7% year over year. Airline fares up 24%. I imagine if we had hotel, rent cars, you know, if if you're traveling somewhere out of town this summer, uh, there's definitely some sticker shock, you know, especially wherever you're going, you know, where you might be going even even bigger sticker shock but used cars and trucks in one year uh, almost 30 percent that's that's just just what i just what i said i mean i've noticed it with my own eyes
1: with my own eyes just just perusing gurus. so
0: what's the other thing we've been talking a lot about here recently is The the meme stocks the meme stocks and i don't think it was a very good week for the meme stocks
1: as a whole no but but as jim cramer talks about he's now scouring the message board on wall street bets looking for what are the next stocks they're going to the be trying what's the next trade and, and 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 this all began with these with these with these folks with these traders on wall street bets looking for stocks that have really been beat up by the short trades by yeah, the it's not, shorts, it's not just Wall Street it's,
0: it's Reddit, it's some of the other online online forums. And I, I thought what was interesting this week, I think you you'd heard that uh, was it the was it the chairman of the SEC? Gary Gensler, who was, the head, there's, head there's, of the SEC S- head of the Securities
1: and Exchange Commission came out in an interview on CNBC earlier this past week that there, that the SEC is really going to start cracking down and investigating these chat rooms and these message boards and searching for stock manipulation.
0: Now, <laughs> what? Yeah. So, so writing on a on a on a chat room, I think this stock's going to the moon. That's manipulation. I mean, come on. To, it's, it's, I mean, it's it, 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 a claim joke. Freedom, I mean, go, go buy Kramer's, go, go buy Kramer's book, Jim Kramer's book from the late 20th century, com era. And he talks about going on CNBC and talking his book. So I guess everybody that comes on CNBC now and mentions a stock is going to be subject to SEC review for potentially manipulating the price of the stock because they're, because they bought it. How about, Uh, when Carl Icahn buys a company, is that going to be considered manipulation? What about Warren Buffett? Buffett or any of these big financiers that come out and say they've taken a position? I mean, we have to, we have to file all these disclosures every quarter as do all other money managers and hedge funds that have over a certain amount of money under management that discloses every single stock that we own. Not, not who owns them, not the client's names, but every single stock that we own. So, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it's just a joke. Well, Why I, did I, the SEC just shut down well, these, these I, pages? And you know why they can't do it, Kyle? They can't do it because it's freedom of speech. If I right. want to go out and, and, and say, I own XYZ, and this is why you should own XYZ, and if you buy XYZ, we're all going to make a lot of money. Now, is that manipulation? Is that, I mean, it sounds like it's 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 a joke. It's a joke. I, I think
1: I think what they're really trying to search for, because on the Wall Street, yeah, they're searching for all a these... way to
0: do. They're searching for a way to keep to somehow regulate the animal instincts of a capitalist society, and you can't do that. Well, because people I, I, are greedy, right? Gre- no. You know, well, greedy well, that's. Well, well, Gordon Gecko.
1: Gordon Gecko would say greed is good, but but that's the thing that we've been warning about, talking about these meme stocks, and what and really it's that greed gland that starts pumping, that's been pushing these companies that have horrendous fundamentals, have zero coverage from analysts, are not you know really might not be going interest for you know two or three years from now, that are getting pushed up because there's more buyers than sellers. And I think what the SEC was really looking at is within these chat rooms, there are professional money managers that are posing as just, arm, you know, uh, Monday, Monday morning quarterbacks trying to push their – trying to push their book, trying to push their stock, and just constantly posting, constantly posting, but they're professionals that are licensed. And I think that they so, might be trying to search for licensed individuals – that are participating in stock manipulation. Now, how they would figure that out, I don't know. I mean, we, we definitely learned this past week that the FBI has a new division that has got some bad, bad people. And what I mean by bad people, people that know how to hack, that are really good on the computer, because $2.3 million of the ransom that was paid in Bitcoin to the Colonial Pipeline was recovered. And that's the other reason why Bitcoin well, that's a that's a punched yeah, yeah that has got a got, pu- story. got punched right in the face. But what I'm trying to to correlate it too is that there are definitely divisions within federal law enforcement that has the ability to track things down. And if they want to go into these chat rooms and track down if somebody that keeps cheerleading a particular meme stock is actually
0: a hedge fund, why 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 would that be different than it, just some you know, individual investor, why why are they held to a higher standard as an individual? If, if I own a bunch of stock in this one company and I want to let people know that I own it, why wouldn't I? Well, let's pick up this conversation on the other
1: side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Two one six two. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at And don't forget, you can catch Moneywise on every one of your favorite podcast streaming services. So, for any listener just tuning in, we were talking about the meme stocks and the greed gland pushing these stocks higher and higher. But what came out this past week is the Securities and Exchange Commission is starting to investigate. Uh, these chat rooms and seeing if they can track down stock manipulation. The point I was making before the commercial break is I think the SEC is trying to hone in on potential professional money managers that are inside of these chat rooms that are cheerleading for these particular meme stocks and possibly looking at them for stock manipulation. And Jeff, your point is, is very well taken. I mean, Jim Cramer of Mad Money bragged on his website years ago on the street. Well, it's in his book. It's in his and it's, book, and it's in his book how he used to call Maria Bartiromo, right. and and kind of basically talk his book to get her to pump up these stocks. Or it's no different than Warren Buffett saying, "Hey, I came out and bought Apple, or oh, I I sold this many shares of Apple, or Carl Icahn, or these activist uh, these activist investors." that have very big names in the industry, you know, Stanley Drunkenmiller. I right. know and, just, he, you know. and just
0: in full disclosure, some of them don't necessarily just come out and announce it. Uh, what happens is the people, there are people that review these 13F filings, which is the filing that I was referring to in the previous segment that managers of money, or if you hold a certain uh, percentage in, in any individual stock, you have to make a disclosure to the SEC, and there's there's organizations that mine this data, and then they put it out. They announce it, and sometimes it has the effect of driving up uh, a, a stock a stock price. I mean, is the SEC going after Elon Musk for driving up the price of Bitcoin when he announced that 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 uh, Bitcoin yes. would be accepted? Well, for tes- I mean, or Tesla Tesla went up in in value because they announced that they're going to allow people to buy their cars in Bitcoin, and then it went right back the other way when they announced that they weren't going to allow people to buy their cars in Bitcoin. Is the SEC going after Elon Musk for that?
1: Well, I can tell you they've already gone after him about some of his tweets, and a few weeks ago, I know we didn't talk about this, but... A couple of years back, he did make two
0: tweets. But but those were, but those were different. Kyle. No no no, that was I different know. because he was saying that there was going to be a certain production of vehicles at a certain time, and and it didn't happen. And the SEC got mad at him about it and told him you know put a muzzle on it, whatnot. It's a little different. I know, then, but Elon Musk cannot send out a single tweet without his
1: legal team anointing it as okay first. Not, and and had, neither can you. You can't <laughs> send out a
0: tweet without me anointing it first. No.
1: And like and say our, well, Twitter, our, Twitter,
0: our Twitter is not up yet, ladies and gentlemen.
1: No, it is not. It is not. <laughs> but 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 again, it really just comes back to the dangers within these stocks, and that's the reason why we've been talking about them on the last few weeks' shows, because I do get questions on the street of people who know me and know what I do, ask about the meme stocks. Same thing with Bitcoin, and I'm not saying, and I'm sure there's some listeners that have maybe participated in these stocks and have made a, a bunch of money in it. That's Good. great. We applaud. Right. Good yeah. for you that's awesome. We applaud you, but you have to be smart. You have to be smart about it and understand that this is pure gambling. This is pure speculation. This is all about momentum trading. This isn't about fundamentals.
0: And, and, and I know we've kind of thrown the sec under the bus a little bit here. I know that their, their intentions are in the right place. They, they would like yes. to protect investors. They would like to just say, look, let me get out a ball peen hammer and hit you upside the head. Don't put more than 5% of your money in this. Uh, but we know that there are people out there that are probably got their entire net worth trading AMC and Bed Bath and Beyond and GameStop and all these other meme stocks, if not Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dogecoin and all these other, Litecoin, you know, all cryptocurrencies and having a big old time with it. It's gonna end badly. I don't know when it ends badly, but it's going to end badly because it's like, it's like this game of musical chairs. The music stops. Are you going to be sitting in the chair when the music stops? Or are you going to be standing up? And, and if, and, you're, and, and if and, you're standing up, you're going to lose money. And, and the thing that I, that I don't like about it, as you well know, Kyle, is that when we have stuff like this happen, and there's people that are going to lose money in, in, in this when it goes the other way, is that it gives – the rest of the investing community. The community, I mean, it gives us a black eye. It makes yeah. it, it it lumps in, you know, it lumps in what we do. It lumps in, you know, all the other companies that are, you know, that have been in business for, you know, tens, fifties, twenty, you know, years and, and have thousands of employees and produce great products and services.
1: Gives it's, us uh, all you, a black pla- pla-
0: place you, place you want to you know, put your money, you know, investing long term. It, 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 it makes the entire Wall Street and in investing look like a casino when it's not. It's that's, not why ta- and that's, that's why, why we're, we're talking and that's why we're talking about that.
1: it. And that's why we're warning investors. And that's why the
0: SEC wants to try to put a stop to it.
1: And we applaud, But they're not but they're not, not going to be able to. Because because we see some other products. Of course, we don't sell anything at Davidson Capital Management. We are a fee-based manager. But but we see products that still, when we do portfolio reviews that are coming into our office week after week that have been around for, for decades that are horrible, that are absolutely horrible and, and really shouldn't be sold and shouldn't be allowed to be sold, but they continue to be sold and investors continue to buy these things. And so we try to utilize our platform of having the Money Wise program as best we can to warn investors about these products and to stay away from them and not to get sucked in or be sold a false bill of goods because we've been seeing too many bad things coming into our office for the last 32 years when we do portfolio reviews trapping investors that got sold these false bill of goods. And a lot of times some of these products, once you sign on that line and which is dotted, you could be locked in for a decade or more and get hit with surrender fees. And if you're willing to take the surrender fees, yeah, you can get out. But sometimes those surrender fees could cost, could cost you six figures to get out. And so you have to be very, very careful. The best bet is if it sounds too good to be true, it is. It is. It's some of the old adages that are out there just that you learn as a, from a kid in, in life, You know, there's too many false bills of goods still in the financial service industry that are being sold. And when the financial entertainment press pumps up the cryptocurrencies and the meme stocks without the very strong warnings, that's what we take exception to. And that's why we utilize our platform to talk about it and to try to educate each and every investor. And if there's something that, that you do want to learn about Wall Street, something about a product that's trying to be sold to you and you just don't feel right about it and you want to learn more, you pick up the phone and you call us at 800-275-2162. And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. For listeners of MoneyWise Wise on 1200 WOAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. Again, if you'd like to catch... The second half of this weekend's MoneyWise program, you can go to our website at Davidsoncap.com or you can catch us on every one of your favorite podcast streaming services. And for listeners to MoneyWise on 1360 on KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving in to the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing. With investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at nine zero six zero zero seven zero, or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise.com. At davidsoncap.com.
0: If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome.
1: Well, it's about time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we as we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education and just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to, to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is the best investment advice ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used from day one, and of course, with us, uh, you know, being in this, having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years, and and again, this radio show going on now in our 10th year. Um, looking at, at rule number one for the best investment advice ever, and that first rule is never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's famous advice. And, of course, Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good it's good words to live by. And, and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one... The one area, again, of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up. It's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio.
0: Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money?
1: Well, and, and, and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses.
0: Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never But But define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more, okay, eggs in one basket. Never put 100% of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks.
1: Give us an asset class. Like, Are never. you talking sector-specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology?
0: I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The, the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot hole of money shallow. keeping the hole shallow, as you were saying. And 2008 is, is a great example of keeping the hole, the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100% invested in stocks that year. And we were also reducing stocks as that year went on. And so we we, we didn't suffer the 35, our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35, 40 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously.
1: But that's that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it,
0: Mentality that said and forgetted portfolio. So the, the rule number one, this never lose money, and rule number two, never forget rule number one, is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others, but I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if you, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be, you're going to own CDs. Uh, sorry to take your your thunder away. That you're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, it, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds.
1: Well, and, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market or even the bond market, when you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out, and what happened to a lot of investors in two thousand and eight is they watched the ride all the way down and then they got to their maximum pain threshold and what did they do? They sold and for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions the whipsawing of the markets because there's fewer and fewer participants because they still have not gotten back in because they're still licking and, and taking care of their wounds from 2008 because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever and You know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. uh, Because, like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk. To have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what we were just talking about.
2: Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been saying this f- that, as that, long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett. Instill this from, from from Will Rogers. who never met a man he didn't like, and and and, and what th- this means, you know, this is you know, this will be my thirty seventh year, starting my thirty eighth year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school. So you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically.
1: Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part
2: of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their
1: bet. They start pushing, pushing the chips. And further as they and further. build
2: their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my 37 plus years to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And, it, and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer.
1: And, and, And one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back, Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that it's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clear now it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have a hundred percent clarity the, the waters are never going to be one hundred percent clear there's always going to be some level of cloudiness but in situations like the dot coms like two thousand and eight uh, even like how you know how the markets have have started off in the past couple of years um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more sauce. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense, because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were
2: talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing.
1: So, but, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a and, game. It's not a game
2: at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game. And so, each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader? Am I an investor, or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So there's various pools that you could be doing, but. One thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So, whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long
1: term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park. And that boosts their confidence. That helps them boost their their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips. Then they strike out. Then they take that loss, and then their, the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad. That they say, to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that.
2: I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful, and I learned that as a broker. I I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders.
1: Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio. And again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have, have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. It's very 4 and 5% returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity.
2: What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, Mm-hmm. Pray to people looking for action, daily action, weekly action,
1: fast money. Fast
2: money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in or would feel comfortable being in. And so when we sit here and we talk about what we see, We don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the
1: public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, t- to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position to hold five individual stocks. And as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give. With with his type of background and acumen as a money manager or as a hedge fund manager, I should say.
2: Well, I I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close. If you only got five, uh, <laughs> you're making uh, you making big bets in, in the, on five in the, companies. In the beginning, in the beginning, when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than. in anything. Because I learned very quickly that if I bought...
1: 5% uh, of your assets in one individual position. Yes.
2: If I bought 10 positions, 3.5 of them were going to be losers. But I loved all 10. Mm -hmm. And so when I got it out to 20, then I'm going to have 6 losers in normal markets. Mm -hmm. And the key was having the 6 losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits that were in the other 14 well if i'm jim kramer and five is my diversification i sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five those whole five positions would be losers so to me that was not enough positions to be diversified that was very concentrated and to be that concentrated i don't want you to think you're diversified you are not diversified with five positions.
1: I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that And, and I'll tell sector. you something
2: else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to do average. And you're either going to do real well or real bad.
1: So it's either a home run or a strikeout.
2: Now, you can't build a business on real bad.
1: Mm-mm.
2: Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone give 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is... For TV. Well, he did it first on his radio show. Mm -hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. You know, he used to do radio and TV. And his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does. And he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So... Us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work.
1: three or 401 one Yeah,
2: we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I work for companies, where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business, they not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement.
1: And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through four hundred one ks in their company stock, and it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to enron it harkens back to worldcom i mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible, not saying that any companies in existence today are, you know, doing some of the fraudulent things that, that these companies were doing, but you always have to look out for kind of number one. I mean, you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement. And, you know, another thing that I like to teach, particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance, I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame with having a great lifetime batting average, but throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform. Where they don't have a good year at the uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well. And they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average. And it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below-average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame.
2: Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25. This is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, unfortunately, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there, wasn't, there were fixed-income people, and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. 09. You might not have had enough course to,
1: to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how – again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for. And we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing
2: if we taxed day trading we wouldn't have this extreme volatility or if having. we
1: taxed high frequency trading or got Which high would, frequency well, trading under
2: control that's that's what i'm saying that would take care of that problem the problem is is that high frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street.
1: Well, really what we have to have that is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah, a nonprofit. You exchange. guys
2: will see that. I'm. i You think Jeff and I will see? I, a nonprofit really, think exchange will, I really think you. I really think you'll see that in your lifetime. You will see a national market.
1: I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high frequency yes. trading. Uh, I, I. And it'll be. I welcome.
2: It'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street.
1: I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct you.
2: Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs>
1: well, we're not that far away in age, so uh, it's only there's about ten, less than there's 10, ten years. years. in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late 2005 was because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide... Education, because there's just – there's such a lack of education out there, and it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system, you know, as we like to call it. It always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education – And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when uh, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is. And there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line in which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand it, then you're probably it's not a good idea to buy. Um. Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff?
0: You know, expenses is one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um uh, annuities I think are probably one of the biggest drains. challenges I
1: would say drains you on know, on assets the, the
0: biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance. Because the fees and expenses built into the, the, the annuity itself, even if it has the best possible investment options, and trust me, the average annuity does not have the best, the best uh, investment choices possible. When you add up average investment choices with high expenses, you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year. And they're still sold. They're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day. And we've in the ten years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission. Mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal <laughs> mission <laughs> to, to, crusade to yeah. I like that to totally steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, aver- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full-time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They you know a minimum, you know anywhere from two to three percent to almost as much as six percent uh, is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full-service broker, I and mean, you're you're the average ticket price that I see from a from a full-service broker is about 2% of the gross purchase. And that is outrageous. So, you know, for $5,000 purchase, you're paying $250 in transaction costs. I mean, that's 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 a that's it's re- twenty uh, it's times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay it at, at a at a discount brokerage firm. Well, yes, well, you better well, be I mean, getting good
2: advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, well if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know, unfortunately, the vast majority
1: of them do not. Well, the one thing again, talking about fees and and what I I like to to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees you have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions you know those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top you see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested that's a hard dollar cost but where annuities where non-traded real estate investment trusts Uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from from your annuity, that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks, or your individual mutual funds. It's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually Well, they're going to
0: focus on... These guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the yeah, they're gonna focus on the G word.
1: Which again is not a guarantee, it's just a promise and it's only as good as the company providing the promise.
0: They're gonna say, Don't you want five percent a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life? Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes
1: monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And if to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself before yeah, number, you make that investment Number one, be decision.
0: diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research. Dig deeper, as you say. And number three, have a, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this
1: weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.